Good morning. I'm Phyllis Perkins. I'm going to be reading our scripture this morning from Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion? Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle? The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it is no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his host, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we come to you this morning desiring to join in with the chorus of all creation that our souls and all that is within us would bless you, would be filled with Godward gratitude, would be oh so very thankful for all your many benefits. May we forget them not. May we remember them. May we call them to mind again and again. And may our hearts respond appropriately to all your many kindnesses, graces, goodness poured out upon us. Lord, may this morning be another point of reminding our hearts what is true and living and responding like it is true. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First off... I need to apologize for last Sunday. Jennifer told me that two minutes into the sermon, she started to panic as she realized that she hadn't put the sermon points on the PowerPoint presentation. But it was about the same time, two minutes into the sermon, that I realized that I had not sent them to her. <laughs> it was my fault, my bad. But I'll confess that 
Part of the fault lies with the process I have developed over the past few years. In France, uh, the church we planted in Paris shared a building with a French church. They met in the morning. We met in the afternoon. And so I developed the working routine of having my final sermon edit on Sunday morning, right before I got up to preach. That way it was all fresh upon my mind, upon my heart. But now that we're back to a normal meeting time, I can't do that anymore. Now, all of that has been pushed to Saturday night, that final sermon edit, which sadly often means I have to decline your many repeated invitations to go out partying with you, John, on Saturday nights. I can't go, John. The weekends are still part of my work week. On Saturday nights, uh, one of the things I'm doing is I'm hard at work sharpening the spear. That's what I call it, sharpening the spear. I'm, I'm whittling down, cutting, 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 the message to get it as pointy as it possibly can be. Because I think we all know the difference between being pierced with the word and having a preacher beat us senseless with a blunt object, right? (laughs) To the point that we just don't care anymore. I I never want to do that. Uh, I try very hard not to do that, which means entire points often get cut from the message on Saturday night as I'm sharpening, whittling things down. So sometimes it's not until the wee hours of Sunday morning that Jennifer gets the email with all the finalized sermon headings in it. And even then, sometimes I wake up on Sunday morning with a start, kind of like Kronk in Emperor's New Groove. And and I think it's, it's too long still. There's still too much. KJ, you're trying to say way too much. Gideon, you still have too many men. And on those days... I have to pull Jennifer aside and say, we need to cut out point number four uh, this morning. It's it's just too much. Take it out of the PowerPoint. And Jennifer will roll her eyes again. Just kidding. She always responds very professionally in those moments. Um, But now, I, I think all these efforts are well worth it if it just helps the truth of God's word stick a tiny bit better in your mind. If it enables the truth to stick just a little bit more, it's, it's worth it. The Apostle Paul says that we are workers with you for your joy. If seeing a point appear up there helps the truth stick in here a little bit better, then it's all worth it. So this morning, I'm going to put up on the screen, hopefully, Katie, you've got it, all the points I failed to have up there last week. As I do a very quick recap of the first five verses before we jump into the next section of Psalm 103 for today's message. But quick recap first, in order to get a running start, uh, and the points you missed last week, or maybe you misspelled last week because they weren't up there. Uh, The first main point we saw last Sunday was this, Godward gratitude employs our whole self. Verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. It was G.K. Chesterton who said, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. Take them for granted or take them with gratitude. We saw last Sunday that blessing the Lord should be central to the Christian's life. Taking things with gratitude, giving thanks should be central to the Christian's lo- Christian life, and this employs our whole self all that we are. One of our greatest jobs in life is simply to be grateful. 
and to know to whom we are to give thanks. How do we go about doing that? Well, verse 2 tells us how and gives us our second big point. Godward gratitude practices a better mindfulness. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Here is a better form of mindfulness than what's being advocated today. Better than being mindful of bodily sensations. Be mindful of soul-stirring truths about God. Truths that can rejoice your heart, both when everything's falling into place and when bodily everything is falling apart. We can rejoice. What truths are we called to be mindful of? We saw five last week, and we're going to see another five today. Last Sunday, we saw that we are to be mindful of sins pardoned. Verse 3, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities. Remember, your sins are forgiven. We're to be mindful of ills healed, the second part of verse 3. He pardons all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. Verse 4, we're to be mindful of what you did deserve. Verse 4, he has redeemed your life from the pit. Where were we? What do we deserve? We deserve the punishment of the pit, but he's pulled us out. And we saw, we're to be mindful of what we have received. Verse 4 again, he redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. And then finally, we saw the call to be mindful of every good gift last week. Verse 5, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. If we kept up a moment-by-moment awareness of these things, it would change our lives, wouldn't it? It ought to make us profoundly grateful people. But, like I said last Sunday, this is a great list to keep in mind. But it isn't an exhaustive list. There are more great truths that we are to be mindful of. Uh, More great truths that we even see here in Psalm 103 that we are to be mindful of. We're going to look at five more verses this morning. Five more additional truths. Uh, And as you've just figured out, uh, we're only covering five more verses. And that means that this isn't the last message you're going to hear from Psalm 103. We're still traveling through this psalm at a cyclist pace. Uh, This is part two of Psalm 103 of at least three parts. There might be four, but at least three. Uh, We're carrying over from part one into part two the main big idea from last Sunday. Godward gratitude. Godward gratitude employs all that we are, including our minds. Here are five more things to keep in mind as we cultivate a grateful heart. Number one. Be mindful of God's writing of wrongs. Be mindful of God's writing of wrongs. We see that in verse 6. Look at verse 6. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. The Lord performs righteous deeds. He does what is right in a world that has gone wrong. And his judgments are for the oppressed. He writes the wrongs done to the oppressed. It's well worth noting here that the God of Israel stands in sharp contrast 
to the gods of the nations. The gods of the other nations were always part of supporting the structure for those in power, those that ruled. They were used to legitimize rulers and their oppression. We have a divine right to rule over you and to keep you in your place. Religion was used to justify their oppressive use of power. The gods stood with the masters against the slaves. They affirmed the right of the superiors to rule over the inferiors. That's what the gods of Babylon and Greece and Rome did. They stood with power, not against it. But this is not the way it is with the God who reveals himself in the Bible. He stands with and for the oppressed against the oppressor. His judgment falls against the proud and the powerful on behalf of the meek and lowly. He performs righteous deeds, righting the wrongs directed at the defenseless. This aspect of God's character would have felt completely foreign in the ancient world. For the Assyrians, for the Babylonians, might made right. The gods were there to bless and support their conquests, their systematic oppression of their neighbors. For the Greeks and Romans also, the gods taught that all men were not created equal. Some were better. Some were smarter. Some were made to rule. Others were made to be ruled over. Others were made to serve and be subjugated. The weak were intended by the gods and by nature to serve the strong. That's what people observed in nature and what they thought the gods taught was just. Remember Plato? Plato said, justice consists of the superior ruling over and having more than the inferiors. That's, that's the ancient world. And if you're an atheist today, you can shake your head at that. But ironically, the shoe still fits. Think about it. If you're an atheist and there is only the natural world, nothing more, and if nature's only moral is survival of the fittest, then e equality is a myth. Inalienable human rights, they're all made up. Nature teaches the strong ought to exercise power over the weak. It's survival of the fittest. It's Darwinism applied to society. It's that kind of worldview thinking in Germany that led to the Holocaust. It's that kind of atheistic Darwinian thinking that has killed over 100 million people just in the 20th century in Russia and China alone. The strong imposing their will upon the weak. This is the way Western civilization would still think, but for this. We encountered the God of Israel. We in the West encountered a God who sides with the weak against the mighty. We encountered a God who so identifies with the oppressed and tasted 
that he took on flesh and tasted the bitterness of that oppression for himself. He personally suffered betrayal. He personally suffered injustice. Although his hands were the hands of a healer, they were nailed to a cruel cross. Suffering the criminal's death. Suffering the slave's death. Jesus became the poster child for being oppressed. But this was all part of God's plan. God's plan to fulfill verse 6. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. In Christ crucified, we see the Lord performing the greatest of his righteous deeds. At the cross, God himself bears the weight of our judgment. He writes what is wrong. He takes the punishment upon himself for our rebellion. So that... Both the oppressed and the oppressors can find forgiveness and redemption at the cross. Remember, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. All can come and find redemption there. In coming to Jesus, we are coming to a king who sets us free. Free from our sinful rebellion. Free from mankind's sinful oppression. If you don't know this Jesus today, if you don't yet know the God of verse 5 who performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed, I'll bet you are a step closer than you think. I'll, I'll bet that you already believe in equality. You believe that the strong shouldn't oppress the weak. Where did you get that belief? You didn't get it from science. You didn't get that belief from Darwin. Your atheism didn't teach you that. You didn't get that belief from reading Greek philosophy. Plato's student Aristotle said, From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjection, others for rule. You didn't get that belief from reading moral philosophy. So where did you get it? You got that belief as an inherited legacy from people who encountered this God. The God of verse 5, verse 6, who performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. You may be one step closer to him than you think. If you're here, however, and you are a Christian, which I assume that's most of us, You can be really grateful this morning being mindful of this. Every injustice and oppression you see in the world around you today, God will bring it all to an end. One, not one act will go unaddressed. Not one wrong will go unrighted. God will address every wrong that's ever been done And do what is right by the oppressed. That's the first thing to be mindful of. Here's the second. Be mindful of God's revealing of himself. God's revealing of himself. Look at verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Remember, Chesterton said, 
When it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. How often do we take it for granted instead of with gratitude the fact that God speaks, that God reveals himself in his word? God didn't have to speak. God wasn't obligated to reveal himself to us. He didn't have to reveal himself to Moses. He wasn't obligated to reveal himself to the people of Israel. But he did. He chose to. We take it for granted. We might take it for granted. But I'll guarantee you that Moses didn't. As he stood there before the burning bush, it must have been shocking this God would speak like this. As God reveals himself through his acts to the sons of Israel through a cloud by day, through a pillar of fire by night, through plagues upon the Egyptians, through manna that falls from heaven, it all must have been shocking at first. But then what do we do as humans? We begin to take it for granted. We take it for granted instead of take it with gratitude. That food falls from the sky. This bread from heaven, Moses, do you think he could speak with God and get us some meat instead? Murmur, murmur. So quick, complain, complain. So very quickly it becomes old hat that our meals magically fall from the sky each morning. So very quickly we lose sight of the wonder that God reveals himself in his mighty acts. And in his written word. Lynn and I had a few days alone together as our kids were off at youth camp last week. And do you know what we did besides going to Maverick's third birthday party? You know what we did? Lynn read aloud to me a book of essays by E.B. White. You know E.B. White wrote uh, Charlotte's Web, a couple other children's classics. And Lynn reminded me of this quote from Charlotte's Web. White says that human beings must always be on the watch for the coming of wonders. When the words appeared on the spider's web, everyone said they were a miracle. But no one pointed out that the web itself is a miracle. Right? We take it for granted. Now, I, I often joke that Lynn writes the sermons, but there's a lot of truth to that. She really does. Uh, because how many miracles, how many acts of God are all around us shouting his praise and we take them for granted instead of taking them with gratitude? How many times do we take the word of God for granted instead of with gratitude? If we agree with verse 7 that the Lord made known his ways and he makes them known here, he made them known to Moses, Moses wrote them down here, in this book, then we should be filled with gratitude whenever we come to it. It's a sure sign that we are taking this truth for granted when we say, God is speaking here, but I can't be bothered to listen. I can't be bothered to pick up his book and hear what he says. We can easily take this book for granted instead of with gratitude. But I think you'll find that if you're like me, I often come to this book slow 
and if I'm honest, begrudgingly many times, but I walk away overflowing with thanks and gratitude. It's a recurring reminder that left to myself, my heart grows cold. But coming here, it's like stoking the embers. It's like pouring fuel on the fire. It's like waking up from a spell that the world has lulled me into some kind of sleep, and here is the wake-up call. It's waking up to see afresh the wonders of God's world and his ways through an encounter with him in his word. I wonder if that's your experience as well. You're slow to come, but once you're here, boy, the Lord meets you and changes your heart. I'm quick to take it for granted, but I want to be quick to take God's word with gratitude day by day. I want to take it with gratitude that God has graciously revealed himself and he is doing it every time I bother to seek him out in his word. We need to be mindful of God revealing himself, verse 7. We also need to be mindful of God's consistent character, verse 8. Be mindful of God's consistent character. Look at verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Again, there's a temptation here to take God's character for granted instead of with gratitude. Because we don't often think about the alternative, do we? And before Christianity changed the course of history, the alternative was all that anyone knew. The Roman world largely just pressed copy and paste on what the Greeks believed before them. They just gave the Greek gods Roman names. Zeus was now Jupiter. Poseidon was now Neptune. Aphrodite was now Venus. Uh, keep the lot or the little you know about all those Greek Roman gods in your mind. And then here again, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Does that sound anything like what you know about Zeus? Does that sound anything like Aphrodite's disposition toward mankind? No. It's nothing like it. You can leave the Mediterranean and travel north to the Norse and Celtic peoples. Does verse 7 match what you know about them and their thoughts about God? No. This isn't Odin, compassionate and gracious. This doesn't describe Thor, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. We can take God's character for granted until we force ourselves to see the contrast. If you want a reason to be grateful today, here it is. The God of the universe isn't like any of the God's people made up. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness towards you. He is much better than what people have imagined. 
and we're much worse. (laughs) He's much better. We are much worse. Here's how God describes our real situation. Remember this? He says this to Ezekiel. God says that you were like, we were all like this. You were like the unwanted child, discarded by the roadside. But God passed by and saw you in your blood and said, live. And he he took you in his arms, wrapped you in his robe, and put his ring on your finger. In compassion, he saved your life. In an act of grace beyond belief, he not just saved your life, but he adopted you into his family. You are a child of God. You are a co-heir with Christ, made to inherit a kingdom that will never end. His character is consistent, and it is consistently abounding with loving kindness toward you. God's character is consistent, but that means something else about him must change. We see that in verse 9. Verse 9 says, He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Here is the fourth truth we need to keep in mind. Be mindful of God's changing disposition. Be mindful of God's changing disposition. Verse 9. When we say that God is immutable, you know what that word means. God does not change. God is immutable. We ought to put an asterisk at the end of that statement. Because there is one notable exception. And salvation would not be possible without this exception. God does change his disposition. God does, at a point in time, remove his anger. From us. He changes his disposition toward us. Verse 9 alludes to this. God was rightfully angry with us, but he does not keep his anger forever. His disposition toward us changes from wrath to mercy. Why? How does this happen? God's disposition toward us does change precisely because His character does not change. You understand that? His his disposition does change precisely because his character does not change. God's character is always opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. So that when we go from being a proud, self-deceived sinner into being a broken, repenting sinner... God's disposition toward us necessarily changes from just anger to merciful grace. God's disposition changes towards us precisely because his character cannot change. His heart is always open to sinners who repent. The Father's arms are always outstretched to prodigals coming home. When we experience a change of heart, when we wake up realizing we're in the pigsty and want to come home, God's disposition necessarily changes. He does not keep his anger forever. Verse 9. Well, where does his anger go? Someone might ask. 
the New Testament tells us where it goes. The Apostle Paul says that we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, because he was rich in mercy, caused that wrath that was due us to fall upon another. On the cross, Jesus absorbs God's righteous anger on our behalf. So that for all those who are in Christ, who are united to Jesus through faith, God's disposition towards you has changed forever. You are no longer children of God's wrath. You are now trophies of God's grace. You are no longer receive what you deserve. You receive what Christ deserves. And that's exactly what Psalm 103 says next. Look at verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Here's the fifth and final point. Last truth to add to our mindfulness list today. Be mindful of God's amazing grace. Verse 10. Be mindful of God's amazing grace. Can you answer this question? If somebody asked you, can you answer this question? How can God show grace and still be just? How can God show grace and still be just? Can you give a good answer? It's perhaps easy to think we deserve grace instead of justice. But let's turn that around for a second. Suppose for a minute that you are Uriah's father. You know the Old Testament? Uriah's father, King David, has conspired and is guilty of murdering your son, Uriah. He has taken your daughter-in-law, Bathsheba, for himself. And when confronted by God's prophet, David acknowledges his crime of murder. He acknowledges his adultery. He acknowledges the cover-up. And in response to David's repentance, the word comes from the Lord, your sins are forgiven. David, God has pardoned you. But as Uriah's father, you are like, what? What? Where is this God of justice? My son is dead. How can God be just and forgive my son's murderer. How can God not deal with David according to his sins, nor reward him according to his iniquities, and be just? In all honesty, how God can do this remains something of a mystery in the Old Testament. But what happens in the New? The mystery is finally being revealed. How can God do this? Romans chapter 3 says that the cross was to demonstrate God's righteousness, his justice. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. Like David's sin. Like Abraham's sin. He passed over those sins because he was looking toward the cross to display his justice. So that he could be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Paul says... That God can pass over David's sin because he knew that the cross was coming. 
God knew that justice would be fully satisfied in Jesus' sacrifice for David. God doesn't deal with us according to our sins because at the cross, he dealt with Christ according to our sins. God doesn't reward us according to our iniquities because Jesus took that for us at Calvary so that now God rewards us not according to our performance, but according to Christ's performance. Heaven, an endless world of joy, eternal fellowship with God, is Christ's just reward, not yours. It's not what you deserve. It's what Christ deserves. But God can give it to us because he has given us something else. He has given us a new position. By faith, we are in Christ. You know this. By faith, you are positionally in Christ. Faith unites us to Jesus. His fate becomes our fate. And thereby, God changes his disposition toward us because we are in his son. God has made it where it is no longer right for him to be full of wrath towards you because Jesus has absorbed every last drop. Maybe that's what your heart needs to hear most this morning. God is not angry with you. He's not in heaven waiting for you to mess up and pour out his cup of wrath on you. Justice did demand wrath, but Jesus already drank that cup for you. On the cross, he drank it to the dregs so that there is no wrath left, not one drop. Maybe that's the truth you need to remember most today. But it's a truth that also comes hand in hand with another great one. Not only has God removed his anger from you, but God has made it right that he loves you with the same perfect love he has for his son. Why? Because positionally, God has made it where you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, when God loves you, he's also loving his son. When God loves his son, guess what? That love is flowing to you as well. This is what Jesus said when he was praying to the Father in John chapter 17. He prayed for his future disciples saying, I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. That's amazing. You have loved them even as you have loved me. Mind-blowingly, the Father loves you like he loves Jesus. You have loved them even as you have loved me. Behold, the wisdom of God. He made it right and just to love you with the same white-hot intensity that he loves his perfect son. He made it right and just not to reward you according to your sin, but to give you the reward that Jesus deserves. Behold, 
the wisdom of God. Believe in the wisdom of God. This morning, believe it. It's good news. Believe it. It's despair-destroying news, if you would believe it. Be mindful of it. Refuse any longer to take it all for granted. Instead, believe and begin afresh today to take it all with gratitude. Father, I ask that you would do a work in every heart here, in my heart first of all, but in every heart here, transform so many things that we take for granted into things we now bless you for. We take with gratitude. Lord, all these great and precious truths about who you are and what you have done for us, write them upon our hearts. May we rejoice in them on our best day and on our worst. These things are always true. May you change our perspective on our life, on how we live this day, on how we serve others, on how we care for our communities and our family. May you change it all by seeing it through this lens that you are with us, you are for us, your loving kindness is set upon us, your anger is removed from us, and you have not dealt with us according to our sins, but have given us the reward of our Savior. May we rejoice in that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.